0: One of the things that I love about the Christmas season is being able to sing carols. Christmas carols around Christmas time. I'm not, I can't sing very well, but I love singing and reading the words of Christmas carols, such rich and deep meaning to be reminded of what Christmas is all about. But in a post-Christian culture, many don't share my enthusiasm for Christmas carols. Even when you turn to the local Christian station, you hear more consumeristic Santa Claus jingle bells than you do about Jesus. And I know I'm a Scrooge. I don't mind Christmas songs. This sermon's not going to be about, oh, we need to change culture and have more real Christmas songs. However... You ever looked at the top 50? I'm going to keep going here. You ever looked at like, I did this this week, got me more grumpy. Top iTunes, top 50 Christmas songs just generically for Christmas, top 50. Let me just give you the top 10 this year, all right? All I want for Christmas is you, Mariah Carey. That one needs to die, okay? It's been around for a while. Rocking around the Christmas tree, okay, That one's been around for a while. Santa Tell Me, Ariana Grande. I don't even know who that is. It's beginning to look a lot like Christmas. Oldie but goodie. Michael Buble, he can sing. One More Christmas by a girl named Tom. I'm not even going to go there. It's actually a good song about, well, I won't go there. Only in 2022, though. Holly Jolly Christmas, old school, I can handle it. Underneath the Christmas tree, Kelly Clarkson, she can sing. Last Christmas by Wham. Anybody there? All right. 40s, 50s, you're, you're feeling that? Merry Christmas, Ed Sheeran, Elton John. This is the top 10 in 2022, y'all. Um, but you might ask. <laughs> you might ask, how many in the top 50 were actually Christian, quote-unquote, Christmas songs? Three. The first one clocks in at number nineteen. Mary, did you know? Eighties. Here we go again. Again, not a cultural rant, but what a difference that two thousand years make in the songs that are sung around the Christmas season. Where two thousand years ago the angels sang, "Glory to God in the highest, peace on earth, goodwill toward men," the Christmas songs have changed. Let me ask you a question. What Christmas songs are on your playlist this Christmas? What Christmas songs are in your heart, more importantly? How do you celebrate the meeting of Christmas in your family? What are the traditions that you have in your home? What's on your Christmas playlist? In an Advent series, we've looked already in the past two weeks. We first looked at the need for Christmas why does Jesus need to come, not just because he's promised to come, but what need does Christmas meet? And we looked at the patriarch Noah, and we saw this summary statement from God after 1,650 years of watching humans and the brokenness of sin, and God says, the wickedness is great. There is sin in the heart of man that grieves the heart of God, and God did something about it. He promised a child to be born, a child to crush the serpent's head. And so, although we are sinful and in need of the promised Savior, God is gracious as what we've seen. We see the need. We've seen the promise. And today, we're coming to the classic Christmas story in Luke 2, and you're going to see the announcement. The announcement of good news, of great joy. Turn with me to that text, Luke chapter 2, verses 1. 1 through 12, we'll see this announcement, page 857, if you need a Bible, there's one next to you. Hopefully you brought one, the words will be up here as well. And then at our Christmas service, we'll pick it up in verse 13 through 20 on Saturday, and we'll see the right response to the announcement of the birth of the Savior. So the announcement. I want to show you where and when and why this promised child came. Turn with me there. Luke chapter 2. Let me just start in verses 1 through 5, and we'll walk our way through this text. Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. Perhaps you know this passage by memory. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration When Cornelius was governor of Syria, and all went to be registered, each to his own town, and Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, engaged, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son, and wrapped him in swaddling clothes, And laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the end. See, verses 1 through 5 or so give us the circumstance. Luke is giving us the circumstance of Jesus' birth. But is it circumstantial? Is it happenstance that it happens this way? I think not. Here's your first thought for today. See, the child, Jesus, came to the place that God has promised. If you know God's word, you know that God has promised this, this child would his son, the Messiah would come from a certain place. And if you look back at the text, let me just walk through it for a minute. A decree. Who does it come from? It comes from the most powerful person on the planet, Caesar Augustus. He is the savior, right? That's how people referred to Caesar. He is the savior of Rome. They also refer to him as Lord. He's in control. He's the ruler. So this ruler of Rome, the most powerful place in the world, has a decree. And what is that decree? That people should be registered. All people should be registered. What does that mean? It's like a census. But the purpose of the census was accountability and also control and taxation. And so the people of Israel... Mary and Joseph here had to go to the place of their ancestral roots. Twelve tribes, remember Israel, twelve tribes of Israel. So the people of Israel had to go to the place, the root of that ancestral home. And so if you're at the line of David, which Joseph was and Mary was, they had to go from where they were in Galilee, Nazareth, 90 miles, three days journey to Bethlehem. The little town of Bethlehem, obscure town of Bethlehem. Why Bethlehem? Because this is where David is from. David is from Bethlehem, so they had to go to their ancestral roots to go be registered for this census, to take account so that they might be taxed. Also, it was meant in that day for all people as it related to military service. And so, Caesar Augustus, at least appearingly, is the one who decreed this. So, Joseph and Mary go 90 miles to the city of David to Bethlehem because they were from the tribe of Judah, the lineage of David. And so, this is where they go, and she is with child. You see, the child comes to the place that God had promised. You know the text, maybe, from the Old Testament. Micah chapter 5, verse 2. We have it here. This is 700 years before this Luke 2 happens. 700 years before. Micah says this, Micah was a prophet. Remember a few weeks ago, we said that the prophets hear from God. They call the people to do what God wants them to do, usually repent and confess their sin and turn, but they also forth tell things that are going to happen in the future. And Micah here in Micah 5.2 says this, but you, O Bethlehem, Pathreth, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, you're out of the way, you're small, from you shall come forth to me. One is to be the ruler of Israel, whose coming forth is from old, meaning he's not just born, but he's begotten. He's Messiah. He's God from ancient of days. Here's the thing. When you read the Old Testament and then you come to the news, sometimes you go, did they not read the Old Testament? Did the scribes and the Pharisees and the people or the disciples, did they not read what God's Word said to them? Be careful. Sometimes we forget too, right? So did they know? Did they know where the Messiah was supposed to come from? Yes. The wise men knew when they came. Remember Matthew chapter 2? They had followed the star of David And they told Herod, and Herod's curious because he wants to kill any competing people for power. And so who does Herod go to to ask where the Messiah will be born? Remember where he goes? He goes to the scribes. He goes to the religious leaders. And they say, well, of course, it's Bethlehem. They know. This is why Herod killed every kid under two years old in Bethlehem. This is why Jesus had to go to Egypt. So they knew it wasn't obscure. It wasn't obscure at all. Hey, have you ever heard the name Nostradamus? Anybody? You've heard that name probably not because he was a physician in the 16th century or because he was an astrologer in the 16th century in France. You know that name because he did what? He predicted things that would happen in the future. That's why you know the name Nostradamus, because there's all this cult following. Go online. Don't go online. And look, there's a cult following like, hey, Nostradamus said this deal, and so that's why we got COVID. Nostradamus said this. This is why the war in Ukraine happened, like from 16th century to today. And the reason why, here's the thing, the reason why people can do that is because this predictor of the future who had a book of prophecy effectively... The reason they can do that is because Nostradamus made his predictions pretty darn vague. And he did it for his own security because the Vatican weren't, wasn't going to have anything to do with it. And so he would say things like this. The older lion will be destroyed by the younger lion. And then they would apply these prophecies, these predictions to like King Henry. The younger King Henry Okay, so, so all the way through time. But notice something, if you did dare to go online and look up this stuff, it's incredibly vague. There's nothing vague about the promises and the prophecies in Scripture. If you go to the beginning after man, Adam and Eve fell into sin, you see kind of a vague statement by God. He said, the child will come and he will crush the serpent's head But he doesn't leave it there because you get to chapter 12 of Genesis. It says, hey, that child, y'all, that child will come from the nation Israel. And then you get to Genesis 49 and you see that the ruler will come from the tribe of Judah. Out of the 12 clans, it's going to come from Judah. The scepter will not depart. The ruler will come from Judah And then you see in 2 Samuel 7, you see even more clarity. There's a narrowing in. It goes from vague to very specific. That it will come from the line of David, the house of David. And Micah 5 gets even more concrete and he says, he will come to Bethlehem. That narrows it down. If it's wrong, everybody knows. Not only that, the child will be a virgin, come from a virgin. He will also come out of Nazareth. Like the prophecies and the predictions in Scripture are specific. They aren't vague. See, the child came to the place that God had promised. And so here's the point for you and me. We can count on God's promises. When He makes promises, He makes good on them. He makes good on His promises. So maybe the question today is this. And maybe it's not as bold and as grand as these promises here of a son born. But think about your own life. And think about the character of God. I'm blown away at the character of God in this passage. God is saying that he makes promises, that he makes good on those promises. Think about the promises of God and the word of God that God gives you. And ask this question. Where in my life do I need to be reminded of the promises of God? Where am I doubting? Where am I taking matters into my own hands? Are you trusting in the promises of God in your own life? And maybe the follow-up is this, because here's where we get it wrong. Have I confused the expectations that I have for God in my hard situations For the promises that he makes in scriptures. Because here's what we do sometimes. Sometimes we put things on God. And say God you said this. When he never said it. Sometimes there's expectations we have for God. Just because we believe. That it should go a certain way. So are you trusting in the promises of God. This Christmas season. C3, I don't know what's going on in your life. And what places do you need to rely on Him and to trust in Him where you don't have answers or the answers that you have you don't like? Are you trusting in those? Can you see the difference between what your expectations are and what He's actually promised? And most importantly here, one of the grandest promises of God is right here. You see, it's Jesus who says that he's the bread of life, that he brings real sustenance. He comes from Bethlehem, the house of bread, to bring the bread of life to you, that you might taste and see that he is good, that you might be sustained by him. And then in the end, the bread is broken. His body and blood Is broken for you that you might have life. Do you know that truth this morning? The beautiful truth that God has become a man, and he's from the house of bread, and he brings the bread of life, and that bread has been broken for you that you might know him and have life in him. You can trust his promises. See, he came to the right place. So what song should make from these verses? What song should make your top 50 Christmas list, you ask? How about this one? O little town of Bethlehem, how still we see thee lie. Above thy deep and dreamless sleep the silent stars go by. Not sure they were that silent. Yet here, listen to this. This line. Yet in thy dark street shineth the everlasting light. The hopes and fears of all the years are met in thee tonight. See, that's a worthy song for your Christmas list. Your Christmas playlist. Not only though, Did the child come to the right place? He also came at the right time. The fullness of time, the scriptures will say. Look at verse 6 and 7. It says, and while they were there in Bethlehem, the time. The time came for her to give birth. She gave birth to her firstborn son, Weir, in Bethlehem, just as predicted. Here's the thing. It just so happened, right? It just so happened that the most powerful person on the planet made a decree that people should go be registered in their ancestral home. I'm sure Caesar thought he was making decisions, was he? See, Caesar was God's pawn in his plan. Keep looking. It just so happened, right, that Mary and Joseph were from, from the line of David. It just so happened that way that they had to go to Bethlehem to be registered. And it just so happened that God allowed Mary to conceive a baby and a virgin birth at the right time right, at the right time where they would go a three days journey to Bethlehem to be registered and have that baby there. Moms, can you predict that about when your baby is going to be born? Do you see all the things that God is doing to bring about his providential purposes and timing? Here's your second thought. The child came in God's providential timing. His timing and his way You understand God's sovereignty, right? That God is over all things. His providence works in his sovereign plans that God brings about his plans in the way and the purposes that he has it. And there's great mystery. There's great mystery. We sang about it, the mystery of God's plans. But he is sovereignly working in this. This is not just Caesar, Augustus. This is not just a donkey taking a three-day trip. This is not just a person's timing, and their pregnancy. This is God's weaving all of these things together in his sovereign providential time and space. You got to see that. This is how God works. Who's pulling the strings? It's God. The scripture says it this way about the birth of Jesus. Galatians 4.4, we saw this last week, but I want to show it to you again. But in the fullness of time, whose time? God's time. God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law. And perhaps you struggle with this thought. This not only happened at Jesus' birth, where God brings about it in His sovereign, providential time, but it also happened at His death. Do you know that? That it wasn't just happenstance. It wasn't just random. Isaiah 53, it was the Lord's decision to crush Him. Yes, they killed him. Yes, the Romans and the Israelites put him there, but it was God's plan to crush him. Acts chapter 2 gets a lot more granular, and it says this, Acts 2, 23. He was delivered up, that's Jesus, according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. You crucified and killed him by the hands of lawless men. It's God's timing. It's always providential. It's always his sovereign providential timing. Jesus' birth. Jesus' is death, your life too. You're like, I, I accept that with Jesus because God had to do some things, but I don't know about if I accept it with God. and my life, listen to these words, Ephesians 1, 11, God works all things, good, bad. He works all things to the counsel of his will, his sovereign, providential wealth. And you go, well, what about the hard stuff? He uses it all. In the brokenness of the world, he uses it all. See also his birth. See also Jesus' death. He uses it in your life and mine to bring about his glory and your good. And listen, I don't understand all that. I'm not going to sit up here and go, oh, I understand that completely in my own life. The call is to trust his wisdom when you don't understand. And the older you get, the more grays you get, The more you can look back and go, at the time, I didn't understand this. I didn't understand that. I don't understand why God did this. But you can look back and over time you can go, but God was working. And he used those things to mold and shape me in in ways that comfort, in ways that blessing never did. You see, the child came in God's providential timing. But notice something in verse 7. Verse 7. And you're going to see it again down later in the text. I'm not going to get into deep detail here. But how did he come? He came in humility. Look at it. She gave birth in Bethlehem, wrapped him in swaddling clothes, laid him in a feeding trough. You want a translation? In a feeding trough. There's no place for them in any inn or any place that they could stay for lodging. And see, that will mark this king's life, this king's humility in his mission, in the way God chooses to work in God's word, that he is a king, but he comes humbly. So let me ask you a question. Thinking about God's timing, this one hurts a little. Are you trusting God's timing right now for things in your life? 700 years. Think about the people of God waiting on this Messiah. Longer than that, really since Genesis 3, it's been a few thousand years. How do you do with God's timing on something to accomplish His purposes and His will in your life? And perhaps, perhaps this, perhaps He's working. He's working, but you're looking for the flash You're looking for him to work in this miraculous, crazy, clear way, and perhaps there's less flash to it. Perhaps the miraculous things God is doing in your heart and life is more like a feeding trough. Perhaps it's more like slow, mundane. That's often how God works miraculously is in the mundane. That's what you see here. You see a king in a feeding trough. Who would have thunk that after waiting for thousands of years for this promised king? I think there's a second song maybe we should sing to add to the playlist for Christmas. Away in a manger. No crib for a bed, the little Lord Jesus laid down his sweet head. The stars in the sky looked down where he lay, the little Lord Jesus asleep on the hay. So God brought the child to the right place. At the right time. But here's the question. For what purpose? For what purpose? And who delivers this news? And who gets the birth announcement? You ever get frustrated because you didn't get the birth announcement? Or you didn't get the Christmas card? Go to other people's house? No, we're going to go there. Look at verse 8 through 12. Verse 8 through 12 gives us the answer. And listen, this is the heart of the Christian message. This is the heart of the Christmas message. Verse 8 through 12. I know it's my last Third point, stay with me. It's the heart of the message. Everything that's been anticipated since Genesis 3 happens right here. Look at it. Here's your thought. See, the child came to fulfill God's gracious purposes. Look at verse 8. I'm just going to walk through it. Who does he come to? And in the same region there were shepherds. The lowly shepherds, the middle class, low class, nobody knows them. And what are they doing? They're on the night watch watching the sheep. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. So an angel shows up, and God's glory shows up, and brings some light to this darkness. And so what's the response? What do you see? Always, like 170 times in the Bible, Three or four times in the Gospels, anticipating Jesus' birth, what happens? Always. When God shows up or an angel shows up, what happens? There's fear. There's great fear. That's a right response. A reverent fear. Who is it? It's the Lord. It's a right response, but always what does the angel do? The angel says to them, beautiful words, fear not. For behold, I bring you good news of great joy. Literally, the word there, good news, is what we get for gospel. This is is the gospel of joy. You see that? Good news of great joy. So not fear, but joy. That's what's going to be produced. And who will it be for? It'll be for all people. You know, we come to this text sometimes, and we see Mary and Joseph and Bethlehem and Nazareth, and we go, man, it's for the lowly, and that's true. We see the shepherds who kind of lower on the totem pole, lo- lower class. We see Jesus born in a, in a trough, and it's certainly true that Jesus comes to the least of these. You see in the ministry, and the life of Jesus, that he comes to those who need it, comes to those who are in sin, the sinner the one who has disease, and that is all true. But especially in the culture we live in now, we ought to be careful in a text like this and others not to look at this and say, well, he only comes to the oppressed. And he wants the oppressed to be now the people in charge so they can be the oppressors. That's not the gospel. And so guess what? Jesus comes to all. He does come to those people, but he also comes to people like Nicodemus, who's a religious leader and has power. He also comes to Zacchaeus, who has a lot of money. He also comes to Joseph of Arimathea, who buries in his tomb. He also comes to the guy who Luke writes to in the book of Luke and Acts, Theophilus. Theophilus is like he's a man of power, and he's writing these words to him that he might believe. And so Jesus comes to all, y'all. He comes to the lowly and he comes to those at the top. He comes to the people at Decker Prairie that we feed and we help over here. And he also comes to the people at High Meadow Ranch a mile away. He comes to the people in the woodlands. And he comes to people in Magnolia, and Conroe, in Montgomery. He comes to white collar, blue collar, no collar. He comes for us all. That's the message. But why do we not fear? How are we going to get joy out of this deal? Who is this guy? Why did he come? Who is he? Look at the words. Verse 11. You can wrap it up here. For unto you, all of you, not just to be put on display to see, but for you, is born this day, right place, right time in the city of David, who is Jesus. Who is this child? He's a savior. He's Ie the deliverer. Why do we need deliverance? Because of sin. Because the darkness of sin, he's the light of deliverance for us. He's the Christ, meaning Messiah, the anointed one. He's God. And last, he is Lord. He's the ruler overall he's the king of kings and Lord of Lords and this is an interesting statement that Luke records that the angel says See, the, the angel if the Romans found this angel the angel would be in trouble why is that? because Caesar's Lord because Caesar is king because Caesar is the savior Luke intentionally writes this to bring out who's really in charge, who's really the king, who's really the savior, who's really the messiah, and it's not Caesar. That's the truth. Preaching and lost my place. Verse 12, look at it. But these shepherds, like they're watching their sheep, they, and they see the light for sure. You'll watch the nativity story. But they're probably a few miles away when the angels come to them. So they need a sign. They need to know where to go, how to navigate, how to get to this baby who's a Savior, Christ the Lord. And so the angel gives them the sign, something that's already in the text, but they learn and a sign is usually something different, so it's like a, a marker. So if you're on your way to church, you know you need to stop where the Kalachi factory is if you need directional help. So this is what he's doing. He's telling them where to go. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes. Even in that day, moms, that was normal. You know how you get your baby? Firstborn, you wrap them up really tight. That's what, that's what this is. That's a normal practice in first century. So that's not really unusual. But he's lying in a feeding trough. That's unusual. Even for that time. If you go look, a feeding trough and that day was probably this stone rectangular piece of equipment under a cave in a stable. Not a place you want to put a baby. I know the nativity like makes it look all cute and clean. It wasn't cute and clean at all. I grew up on a ranch and my dad made us three boys clean out the stalls, y'all. The trough... Where the cows would chew their cud and oh, I didn't even go there. It was nasty. Like today you would probably, CPS might get called. You put a baby in something like this. A feeding trough. That's the sign so you'll know. You see the contrast? Here's this king in the glory of the Lord shown around it. Where Jesus is being born. And so there's this glorious event. There's this glorious announcement. We might say, though, that that God needs to work on his marketing strategy a little bit because he's coming to to nobodies in an obscure place, out-of-the-way place. If you really want to make an announcement to everyone, you wouldn't do it here. You would do it in Jerusalem, right, where the princes and the kings and the royalty is. No, Jesus does it here, or God does it here. Darrell Bach said it this way about this contrast between the glory of it, and then you see what? You see shepherds and Mary and Joseph and Bethlehem. There's a contrast. There's deity, and there's just humanity here. Darrell Bach said it this way about Jesus' life. He says, Messiah's life will contain an unusual bookend for a king. Since he was born in a trough, and he will die with robbers. Perhaps another Song on your Christmas playlist ought to be this one. We sang it today. Our deliverer, you are savior. In your presence, we find our strength. Over everything, our redemption, God with us. Or maybe this one, which we're going to sing in a minute. Born that man no more may die born to raise the sons of earth, born to give us second birth. Hark the herald angels sing. It's a worthy song for the Christmas season. If you know Jesus this morning, he's your savior, he's Lord. Is that reflectant in the way that you follow his rule and his reign in your life? And maybe you're here this morning and you don't yet know the Savior. Maybe you need to be told of the joy and the peace and the hope that He brings because He can deliver you from your sin and He can bring light into your darkness. He's the deliverer. He's the King. He's your Savior. Do you know Him? One one other thing about this text, I don't know how long you've known Jesus or how long you've been going to church. I was raised in a little Baptist church, and after you get out of the nursery, you start coming to church with your parents. I don't know how that lands on you, mom and dad. And so from a really young age, I've heard the Christmas story. I've sung the songs. I've come and listened to sermons from Luke 2 my whole life. I've preached them, quite a few of them. And so often at Christmas, I'm going, God, asking the Lord, show me something. You're not new, but just do something in my heart from a story I already know. And one of the things that happened this week in my heart, at least, that I might share with you is as I'm going through this story and the details of this story, what was just jumping off the page to me was the character of God. That God is a God who makes good on His promises. That He's a God whose timing is right, whether it fits my timing or not. And He is working even if I don't see it, even if I don't feel it. He is at work. And He just may be at work in more mundane ways than I think. And last, He's going to fulfill His gracious promises to us. So He's a God of promise. He's a God of providence. He's a God of purpose. I hope that encourages you this morning. As you look at details that you may already know, let it jump off the page to you that God is faithful. Jesus came at the right time. came at the right place. He came to fulfill God's purposes. But speaking of the purposes of Christmas, you know, I've I've talked about the top 50 songs. 2022, get a little depressed about it. If you really want to be depressed, go to iTunes and look up the top 100 movies, Christmas movies. You'll get real depressed. There's not a movie in the top 100 on iTunes that has anything remotely to do with the Christmas story. I'm coming back to it. I don't know what your favorite Christmas movie is. One of mine is Charlie Brown Christmas, the old one. It was like 60s. I wasn't even born. Remember the storyline? It's old, so like you're going to have to go watch it if you had not I'm just going to unpack it, though. The storyline is this. Charlie Brown, if you know Charlie Brown, Charlie Brown is frustrated with the secularization of Christmas. And so he sets out on uh, a little path to... Understand what Christmas is really about. It's not about getting. It's not about all the consumerism. And so Lucy has the broad idea to give him the Christmas pageant at the school. Offloaded on Charlie Brown so he can figure out Christmas and meaning for Christmas and what it's about and have Christmas spirit and it goes horribly wrong. Charlie Brown doesn't do anything right and all the other kids, Lucy and everybody else included, give him a hard time. And so you can't do anything right. And so as he's philosophizing about Christmas and all the things that he's tried to go through to really figure out the meaning of Christmas, he finally says this. He walks away from his, his friends who are laughing at him because he's, they've done us such a bad job on the Christmas pageant. Even the little Christmas tree that he got, the leaves fall off, it doesn't work. And he screams this. Isn't there anyone who knows what Christmas is about? And it just so happened that the great theologian Linus is standing there with his blankie in hand, sucking his thumb. And he turns to Charlie Brown, and he just simply says, sure, Charlie Brown, I can tell you what Christmas is about. And the scene changes, right? He walks out on the stage, he looks out, and he simply says... Lights, please. And then he reads these words. I'm not going to try to be Linus. I'm just going to read it. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you, and you will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was an angel with a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God, saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those whom he has pleased. And Linus finishes, and he simply walks off the stage And he walks up to Charlie Brown and he says, that's what Christmas is about, Charlie Brown. Perhaps you've seen it. That's what Christmas is about. But there's something interesting if you've really paid attention to the Charlie Brown Christmas. It's something that Linus does. When he comes to the line where he says, where... In verse 10, where he comes to the line, and you can see it if you watch closely on the show, and the angel said to them, he's got his blankie in his hand, and his blankie is what? It's his comfort. It's what soothes him from fear and other things. The angel said, fear not, and Linus drops his blankie. You never see that in Charlie Brown. He drops his blankie, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy. You see, the meaning is clear for Linus. I don't need to fear. I don't need to fear. Because Jesus is my comfort. Jesus is here. He's all that I need. So see, through your takeaway today is this. This Christmas season, Jesus, the Savior, the Messiah, the Lord. Jesus turns our fears into joy. Exchange Your fear, C3, for His joy. Let me pray.